The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades, say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level. With Conair Girlbomb, available at Walgreens. Hey, this is Dylan. And I'm Kathleen. And we have a little bonus this week. We really enjoyed our conversation with Victoria Price that we did for our episode on feeling lost. And so we wanted to share the whole conversation with you. Yes, so here it is. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So reading your story, it's just a a beautiful story that kind of brings up urges in mm. in someone who has felt any sort of lack of direction or fear of uh, another decade coming to a close. Right. Um, but for our listeners, we'd love a little bit of, of backstory on maybe how you came to this lifestyle and some of the reservations you may have had. Sure. Well, I grew up in a family that valued accumulation And I grew up in a family that in a way embodied the American ideals. I grew up in a 9,000 square foot house with uh, a family who drove a Rolls Royce, a dad who was a iconic world famous movie star. And our house was, my mother was a designer, so our house was constantly photographed and it was in Architectural Digest or our house and garden. And, And so it was really this lifestyle that was very much about Uh, the things that surrounded you bolstering this idea that life is about accumulation and possession and identity and all of those things. And when you're a kid, you just sort of take that in and you think, oh, whatever. But as you get older, you realize there's a value placed on those things. And from the time I was young, I found myself wanting to pull away from that but not really understanding what it meant. So when I was in my early 20s, I lived in the mountains to the east of Albuquerque, New Mexico, in a log cabin with no running water and no heat, and we squatted. And we dug our own outhouses, and I would go out with a chainsaw that had been stolen from the U.S. Forest Service, not by me, <laughs> and, uh, and go out and cut my own firewood. And I did that for two years, and I just had this urge to feel what it would be like to not be surrounded by fame and fortune and all of that stuff. But eventually, of course, I got called back into that world. And I feel like my whole life has kind of been this 
this push-pull, this ebb and flow between the world that I grew up in, which is the world that we're all taught to aspire to in, in a way, this world of having and being and, and identity, and then this feeling that I never felt like myself in that world fully. It's, it's tantalizing. It's appealing. It, you feel good when you have the stuff and you... But I never really felt like myself. And I realized that, like, one of the best days of my life I can remember was I didn't have anyone to go chop the wood with. And I drove, you know, two and a half hours out with my dog by myself with the chainsaw. And I chopped all the wood and I halt, put loaded it all up into the pickup and I drove it back. And I remember feeling like nobody ever taught me I could be this self-sufficient. So that was in my 20s, but it gave me the feeling that I could survive anywhere. But by the end of my 40s, I was really in this place where, again, this push-pull, like I'd kept, my life had kept falling apart, and I never really understood why. And then I kept rebuilding it back to be what I thought it was supposed to be, and then it would get back to where it was supposed to be, and I thought, I don't really like this. And at the end of my 40s, I had this kind of conversation with myself in the mirror, and I thought, wow, you're doing everything right. And you keep doing everything right, and you're miserable. And I vowed that I would change my life, but I had no idea how. And what finally I came to realize was I had to be willing to lose everybody else's idea of who I should be. I had to be willing to lose all the old stories that had attached themselves to me. I had to be willing to lose the world's idea of what we're supposed to do, what we should do. That word should. Honestly, I think it's misspelled. <laughs> I think it should be four letters because it behaves like a four-letter <laughs> word in our lives. You know, the moment we're shooting all over ourselves, <laughs> we are not listening to our hearts. And so the last seven years have been this path, so sort of this path of being willing to get lost. And the funny thing is, so I'm at the end of, I, I believe in seven-year cycles, and I'm at the end of the seven years, and people keep saying, how do you feel? And honestly, I think I thought I would feel like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do. I do know what I'm supposed to do, but not in the way I thought. Because when people say, how do you feel? I say, I feel lost. But this time, it's a beautiful thing. It's not a scary thing. Because I think what being lost does is it invites three words that we're told to be scared of, but I think they're the biggest invitation to change. And it's the words, I don't know. You know, when we're little, right? Nobody's going to say to a six-year-old, listen, okay, so I need to know how you're going to make that first car payment 15 years from now. You know, who's going to say that to a six-year-old? A six-year-old is going to go like, what? What's a car payment? We know that little kids are supposed to live in the I don't know because it's by living in the I don't know that you develop faith and you learn to face your fears and you feel what freedom is. So that's this beautiful thing, right? But as adults, we're taught that I don't know is scary. Well, how are you going to make that car payment? And what are you going to be doing 10 years from now? And what is your job description? And honestly, letting go of all of that, even though sometimes it is totally scary, I've really feel, I really feel like I've found resources I never knew I had, and I've learned to listen to that part of me that I shut off when I was way too young. Yeah. So. And I think that even younger, we're telling kids that they should know. Because yes. it's like 17, 18, which is what I really experienced of kids being like, I don't know what my career is going to be or, like, what I should study or, what like, how do I make a car payment? But we're pushing that younger and younger. Right. So that sense of, like, being six and not having to know is seeming to, like, really disappear. 
especially now with the access to information. Mm-hmm. Kids, you know, as a kid, I didn't know how food ended up on the table. And, you know, no matter what your sense of, you know, growing up in great privilege as I did or none, there is this sense that there's some world out there that we don't know how it works. But I'm not sure that that really happens for much past six now because kids have access to so much information. You can find out how everything works. So there is no mystery. Yeah. But there, every day there's mystery. We're fooling ourselves if we think we know. Yeah. You know, if I said to you, so, you know, what are you going to do tonight? You could tell me your plans, but you have no way of knowing how you're going to feel tonight or what you're doing, you know, what you really will end up doing or where it will take you. And when we embrace that, I don't know, it somehow opens us up to really what the world is like in a, in a very beautiful way. And you have to be willing to get lost in order to actually find who you are in your heart. Yeah, definitely. And it's still, it's a terrifying journey, but oh. it's just something that is very beautiful. I think a lot of us in our lives can look back to that time that we were just terrified. But And then also finding strength within yourself. Like what you said, it's like, I had no idea I was capable of so many things until I pushed myself, yeah. you know, to completely let go and be lost. But, yeah. Well, and I was always somebody who was a control freak, right? Mm-hmm. And so in a way, I took away my control. And even now, what I'm learning to do is to say, if somebody says, you know, where are you going to stay tonight? I used to have a plan. And now I say, I don't know, because I don't know opens it up to being exactly where you are in the moment. I think that's the other thing we're not taught to do is to be present right now. We're always thinking what's going to happen down the line, what's going to happen in the future. And we have this idea that that makes us feel safe. Mm -hmm. But it really doesn't. Because all it is is it's making us not be where we are right now and then worry about where we're going to be instead of being present and grateful right where we are. It just puts us like in a box of worry and terrified at all times about what's to come. And we just totally forget about just being in the moment. Exactly. I I think that makes time move faster Mm because there's a sense of urgency to get the next thing done. Yes. But one thing, going back to your experience in your 20s, when uh, kind of squatting and yeah. and learning how to interact with the land. And I think that that's something that even though there is a lot of information available to us, it's it's digestible, but we're still not um, experiencing it. Right. So Right. We have this idea that if we've read about it, we've done it. Yeah. And it's, it's completely eye-opening to actually do it and experience it. And that seems like it... It must when you when you find yourself in situations like that. I'm, I'm I don't want to speak for you, but it seems like that must be very satisfying. It's satisfying, and it's also really interesting to recognize when you get to certain sort of push comes to shove moments. You recognize that you don't always have the skills to make decisions that you thought you would, because I don't know about you guys, but I always have this idea that somebody out there might really actually know what we're supposed to do. <laughs> and and I think there's, you know, maybe a larger, higher presence kind of somebody. But in my head, there's still this idea that maybe someone's going to know what I should do in a given moment. And a couple of weeks ago, I was in this place where I really didn't know what to do. And I wasn't feeling great. And I didn't know, should I keep pushing? Should I stop? Should I ask for help? Should I not ask for help? And the hardest part was not those questions. It was this sense of not knowing how to ask those questions and listen for the answers. Even after two years of being intentionally homeless, I still had this idea that maybe somebody out there knew a better way. 
And I remember, you know, sort of reaching out and asking for help and then realizing that no matter how many different answers I got, I had to learn to listen. And for me, you know, I have a really deep spiritual practice. And what it did was it made me realize that even in my spiritual practice, I was kind of willing my way through certain questions like, um, what do I do now? Well, I'm just going to go here. Instead of, you know, sometimes you have to be willing to stand at that fork in the road till you really hear, go left, go right, and stand there for a while. And maybe it rains on you. And maybe, you know, 47 cars pass. And maybe people come up to you and are like, do you need help? And you're like, yeah, but you can't help me. You have to be willing to stand there. And then at some point, the funny thing is, I think you end up realizing that you've heard the answer already. You just didn't know how to listen to it. You know, and the answer maybe wasn't like you were thinking, please tell me, go left, go right, go left, go right. But really what you heard was, you know, that town, Richardsville, sounds interesting. And you know Richardsville is left. And then you, and, and then somebody, you know, pulls up and they say, uh, I'm heading Richardsville. Do you need, you know, are you heading that way? And everything's been saying Richardsville and you haven't known how to listen to it. So I think one of the things that we come to realize is, all the answers are inside of us, and we're so busy listening to all the static of the world that we've forgotten how to listen. So the moment of being lost is actually this really beautiful thing because it's that moment where all the answers of the world no longer satisfy us. Because, you know, looking back on those times in your lives where you felt lost, right, when the answer came, it was in you. It wasn't like, you know, you got some skywriting that said, you know, <laughs> now go to grad school, you know? It was like the answer was in you, and you were like, oh, yeah, you know, right. I always did love doing that, or I always thought I'd end up, you know, doing something like that, or wow, my friends have been saying that. You know, it's there. Yeah, it's always been there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Ha it happens almost every time, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's, it seems like it's about finding that stillness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we are not a society that's comfortable with being still. No. And being open to it, being completely open to it. And we're terrified of it. We just like love to pack on as much um, noise and outside voices as possible. But rarely are we okay with being still with our own. Right. Well, you know, now they're saying the number one addiction more than opioids is technology. Yeah, And so, you know, if you think about it, because I'm on the road, so sometimes I really have this idea, like, today I'm going to check Facebook, and then I'm going to feel connected to everybody. So there I go through, scrolling through Facebook, and I, you know, I think it'll take five minutes. It takes 15. I don't even like Facebook. I don't even <laughs> post on Facebook. And I get to the bottom of, you know, whatever I've gotten to the bottom of, and I think, I feel so Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I feel worse yeah. than if I had just literally gone for a walk with my dog, met somebody out there. We talked about dogs or flowers or birds or whatever. That would have been genuine connection. I don't know that person. I might never see that person again. But that's real connection. Not wondering what my friend from high school is doing on her ski trip in the Sierra Nevadas. <laughs> that's not connection, you yeah. know? I don't think anyone ever feel leaves scrolling feeling connected. I don't think right? we ever feel like, that feels great. That feels like a genuine connection. And I can tell this from experience. I mean, I've been sitting in a box and talking to strangers every weekend, and I've never felt so connected to people in my life. Yes, exactly. And that's part of the beauty of getting lost. When you get lost, you have to ask for help. So you have to talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to. Mm -hmm. 
And all of a sudden you realize all these people that we're told to be scared of, they're not scary. There's something to talk about with everybody. I mean, yes, there are people that we probably should listen to that little inner wisdom like, yeah, maybe not that person. But really, the majority of people, we can always find common ground. And when we find common ground with people that we're told we're not supposed to find common ground with, all of a sudden, we feel connected, right? Yeah. yeah. And we feel better opening up to someone we wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. That's beautiful because that's kind of the, that's literally <laughs> that's the thesis the of the show. Yeah, that's literally <laughs> our thesis of the show. And like, it's what we've come, hmm. you know, it's really what we figured out is that, you know, every weekend there does seem to be a pattern to people's answers. And so many different people walk into this booth and I, I speak to people that I, I would have never gotten the chance otherwise. And I just kind of realized that, man, we are way more similar than we are different. And I think that's so important right now because we're really, that's like tearing us apart. Um, so it's really beautiful and it brings us hope yes. that we see that every weekend. Well, you know, that's one of the beauties of living out on the road. First of all, I travel with this adorable fluffy white dog. So she's like my love mayor, right, of the world. Everybody, nobody looks at me. Everyone's like, <laughs> oh, what a cute little dog. And then you're having a conversation. And nobody <laughs> cares because you love dogs, right? But even it, I, one time I almost ran out of gas and I got it said gas. Well, the gas station ended up being like two miles in the middle of nowhere in like South Carolina. And I pull in to get gas, like on fumes, and there I am with my New Mexico plates and my roof box and my dog. And I look around, and everybody, the median age, well, they're all men. They're all in pickup trucks with shotgun racks. And, you know, they range from, like, 40 to 60. And in that little moment, that voice in my head said, oh, be aware of your surroundings. And I thought, okay, well, that's common sense, especially as a woman. You should be aware of your surroundings. And then the next voice was, but don't be afraid. And so I'm filling up the tank, and I see this guy, and we're in South Carolina, with a Green Bay Packers T-shirt on. I'm a big sports fan. And I just couldn't help myself. I'm like, hey, what are you doing down here, a Green Bay Packers fan? <laughs> I mean, you know, it just seems so ridiculous, right? Yeah. You know? And he looked at me, and he, and he was like, and he walks over, and I'm now at this point in the car, and he puts his arm, his hand on my arm, you know? And, and I'm like, and he goes, what'd you say? And I said, Green Bay Packers, you know, do you have, like, many friends down here? What are you doing down here? He's like, I know, right? He said, well, I love my Packers. I'm not even from Wisconsin. And he goes on and on and on about the Packers. And then um, he said, well, who are, who are you a fan of? I said, I'm a Broncos. Oh, the Broncos, Peyton. You know, we start talking. And then he calls the other guys over. So it's me and the toothless shotgun guys, <laughs> you know, and we're all talking football. There's always something we have in common. And they didn't see anything. You know, they didn't see, like, some woman with short hair and tattoos driving a car with New Mexico plates with a fluffy white dog who, like, what the heck is she doing here? They saw, oh, my God, Green Bay Packers and football and Broncos and we love Peyton. And all of a sudden, there's that common ground. And there is always common ground. And we're taught the opposite. We're taught to look for what to be afraid of instead of to find what we have in common. And you're right, there is way more that we have in common. Yeah. We all get up in the morning and think, uh-oh, or wow, or, you know, we all go to bed at night praying about something. We all have lost and gained and, you know, fallen in love and fallen out of love and worried about how we're going to pay the, every single person on this planet. Has. Yeah. And we're taught to find the differences, and that's crazy. Yeah, and it's harmful. It really totally is. Totally harmful. Yeah, and it closes you off from beautiful experiences like that. I think those yeah. are just amazing. And also being on the road, I think we can all, we all look back at those fun experiences. It's just 
you know, letting ourselves open up to them is just amazing. Yeah. We'll be right back with more from Victoria after the break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Are there any other beautiful experiences from being lost that come to mind? Yeah, you know, I, I have a practice. I drive the back roads. And I do it on purpose because it's all well and good to talk about, well, there's us and them and people, you know, we're so different from them and they're so different from us or whoever they and we are, right? But when you drive the back roads, you really look at how a lot of people who feel disenfranchised in this country live. Because this is an urban culture, everything you see on TV is about urban lifestyles, and these are people who have, you know, lived for generations or are choosing to live way, I mean, I drive the back back roads, right? And so when I first started to drive them, I, I would get lost. And eventually, at some point, I would get so lost that I would get panicked. And I would really begin to look at that panic, like, what are you scared of, that you're going to have to go knock on someone's door and ask for help? But, but what I really began to realize was that everybody I ran into on the back roads, I've lived in rural places. And one of the things when you live in rural places, especially if you live in mountain roads, which I've lived on, 
you always wave at everybody when you pass them. And so one of the things I noticed was that in my fear, I'd be clenched so tight that I wouldn't behave like I normally would, you know? And But if I could remember to just be present and wave, I would see all the help all around me. And at one point, I was taking this photograph. It's still one of my favorite photographs I photograph on the road. And I'm standing in the middle of the road, and I'm waiting for the cars to pass to get this shot. And every single car stopped and asked me if I needed help. No matter... and. And I never felt scared. I never felt harassed. I felt like everybody genuinely wanted to make sure I was okay. On this same road trip, so it was this reminder that help is all around, you know. It's always there. So on the same road trip, um, I was in driving from Colorado to Texas. And the sky started to get like super, super dark. And I've gotten stuck in the Texas panhandle in ice storms and lightning storms. And I started to get worried because it was tornado season. And I started to get that totally anxious feeling. And I'm driving along and I check the weather and it shows there's major weather coming my way. And I'm thinking, what an idiot you shouldn't take in the back roads. Who cares about those photographs and those nice people you talk to about help? You should have stayed on that, you know. And I'm like, no. You do this as a practice. What does a practice mean? A practice means you have to be present right where you are. So I'm driving on this back road, and all of a sudden, I swear to you, you know, we all have this thing, especially those of us who are raised Christian, where we think, like, when we're really lost, like, please, God, give me a burning bush. You know, (laughs) I want. So I'm driving along, like, thinking, am I crazy? What am I doing? What am I doing? And then all the questions come in, right? And I swear to God, this red stream of light, like something out of, you know, like a sci-fi movie, about 10 miles ahead of me, beams straight down, like one stream of bright red light. And it was there for the whole 10 miles that I drove. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm trying to take pictures, and I'm like, oh, my God. And right after it disappeared, it started to pour like that kind of torrential, you can't gully washer, you can't see anything. And I have this big smile on my face because I realized the whole day was my burning bush. That every time, like I thought, oh my God, I'm in the middle of nowhere. If something happened, what would I do? Everybody came and talked to me and asked me if I needed help. And then when I thought, God, I'm crazy for taking these back roads. I could have already been at the hotel, you know, in on a highway. There's my burning bush moment. And what it what it really taught me was Whenever we're led to get lost, we're going to be bombarded with voices telling us this is not safe, this is not cool, and exactly the opposite happens if we can stick with it. The people, the situations, the messages from the universe will come, and they will say to us, you know, you're in exactly the right place, and you are safe. And the next day when I got to my job, you know, it had taken me a lot longer because driving the back roads takes longer. And my, um, my client, I got there and my client was like, wow, you seem so energized. You worked all weekend in Colorado and then you just drove two days. And I'm like, yeah, because when you really show up to your own heart, the world shows up to you. And we're not taught that. We are not taught that. We're like, find the plan, stick to it. And it's like, you know what? The plan is not what we think it is. That's beautiful. (laughs) I know. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, it was. I'll never forget it. (laughs) That's amazing. I have a little crappy cell phone picture, and you can see it, but it was, you know, the little stream of light, but it's nothing like, I mean, it really was like, okay, that'll be a burning bush, I think. Yeah. But it's got to be moments like that that just get burned into your mind, even if you didn't capture them. 
in a photograph and the kind of ones that remind you to be present. Yes. No, we're just so not taught how to be present. And and technology addiction is making it a million times worse. I, I was raised as a kid to not watch a lot of TV, even though my dad was an actor. And so consequently, in my mind, like, because I don't have a home, I can go months without turning on a television. And, but if I go to a restaurant where there's a TV on, I'm like a zombie. I can barely converse with the people I'm with. And it's mesmeric, you know? And I think, and, and I realize the little screen is like that too. I'll be driving and I'll be like on a seven hour drive and this little voice in my head said, oh, you better check the thing. It's like, really? No, you, what, what on earth could be happening that is so important that you have to check it? And then the big piece of advice I have to say is if something, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, check your phone, don't. Because (laughs) nothing ever good will happen at two in the morning on your phone. You will not get an email telling you you've won Publishing Clearinghouse. You will not find the love of your life on Match.com. Nothing good will come of checking anything at two in the morning. You know, and we think, oh, it's our little babysitter and it makes everything worse. You know, that's another time to really be willing to get lost, to get lost in the fear of two in the morning and begin to train yourself to realize that all the vo- those voices in our heads, you know, that's the big question. Like, what is the thing that scares you at two in the morning? Everything scares you at two in the morning, <laughs> you know? And so being willing to really sit with that and find a way to start to lose those voices that are so scary and realize that we have that peace inside of us. Yeah. We're not trained to do that. You know, we're trained to just keep busy and keep going. Yeah, definitely. And just like you said, we're not trained to do these things and we're trained to have a plan. Um, Did you have any um, criticism or friends and family being like, what are you doing? Like what? Thank God my parents aren't alive. (laughs) You're You're veering from your plan. Yeah. You know, I think the thing is that my closest friends knew that I was unhappy. You know, they kept looking at my life and people would look at it from the outside and go, wow, you're so successful and this is going so well. I never felt that. I never felt successful. And I I think they knew that I was being called to something that wasn't going to have like a job description. Oh, you know, it's going to be out there. I have to go. I, I knew that I had to kind of go and search and I'm still searching you know, the book is is out and I'm doing this Backroads book tour and I'm doing talks all over the place. But even in all of that, I still feel like there's a way I need to help other people be able to step into doing that. And I'm still exploring the best because technology, unfortunately, is the means to reach the most people. You can't actually, I mean, I am on the road all the time. But even so, technology reaches more people. But I want to find a way of doing it that's in a holistic way, not in a way of just here's one more toolkit that you add into your toolkit that you add into your planning. And so as I'm really thinking about that, which is happening by talking to people, because people tell you what they need. People tell you what's missing. People ask you the questions. Like I was at dinner with someone last night. He said, do you ever feel fear? I was like, all the time. Are you kidding? And then he proceeded to share his fears, and we talked about fear. And so, yeah, I got a lot of the, – the funniest thing that happens to me is I'll say to people, I'm intentionally homeless. And they're like, wow, so where do you live? And I'm like, no, homeless because <laughs> people can't really process it. And then there's usually like one of three responses – 
One is, oh my God, I'm so jealous. That's the smallest number. But it's like a pipe dream for people. Majority of people are like, I could never do that. And then the the third group is actually literally people who cannot even process it, which shows that everything we do in our society is based around this idea of home. And some people are nomads. You know, whole cultures are nomadic, but we're not built to be nomadic. In fact, there's whole things you can't do in our society, like insurance. You know, insurance is built around an idea of a domicile. You know, there's no, there's whole sectors of our society that aren't built for people who choose to live differently, whatever that difference is. Yeah, definitely. And and it's crazy because by people saying, I can't even imagine, that proves right that People can imagine and they won't force themselves or like open themselves up to even the idea. Right. So, oh my gosh. (laughs) We have a little more with Victoria in just a moment. We'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com What is your definition, your personal definition of, the, of home? Mm. So that's been a big thing that I learned, right? Because home was so important to my parents. Uh, m- we moved a lot, but 
the idea of home was this place where you could shut the door and shut, especially if you were famous, you could shut the world out and be yourself. It was also a place that absolutely reflected who you were to anyone who came in the door. And I've made my living as a designer for years, and that's my job. My job is for somebody to explain in words and some visuals who they are and for me to help them create a space that reflects who they are, right? So that was my idea of what home was. It was a sanctuary, and it was a place that reflected who I was to anyone who walked in the door and to back to myself as well. So to lose all of that, right, to have no door you can shut and to have sort of nothing that expresses that, I was like, whoa, you know, what is home? And what I realized was that the more we lose our hearts, the more we have a need for something concrete. And the more I found my heart again, the more I realized all the places I could feel at home. The other day I was, uh, my editor for my book happens to live in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and so I stayed with her. That's where I was born. Oh, really? Yeah, it's really, it was really pretty day and I was staying in the nice neighborhood where she lives and we, she has a dog and I have a dog and so we took this long walk and everything was blooming, it was beautiful. And I kept hearing this voice in my head saying, I'm so happy, I'm so happy. And happy didn't mean I wanted to immediately like buy a house in that neighborhood. Happy didn't mean like Knoxville is now number one on my list of places I wanna live. I was happy because I was walking, having a wonderful conversation with somebody that I enjoy conversing with because you work on a book so intensely with someone, right? You, you get to know them really well. I was walking, looking at nature. Our dogs were having the best time. And I was fully present right where I was in my heart. And I thought, oh. I read this blog called Daily Practice of Joy. And the definition of joy I like best is the pure and simple delight in being alive delight in being alive. And for me, that's what home is. When I'm in my heart filled with joy, I feel this delight in being alive, which automatically connects me to the environment and to the animals and to other people. And Then I'm home wherever I am, which is so not me. When I first started staying at other people's houses, I was like, do they clean their toilets? <laughs> wow, I wouldn't use that hand soap. You know, I was like the designer in me or the person I was like, I miss my towels, you know, because mm-hmm. there's things that feel like safe, right? And now I'm like, oh my God, it's so nice to be in someone's space and feel their sense of home and how wonderful is this and how fortunate am I to be here. Yeah, definitely. I love that. It's Home is um, can be people. Home can be moment mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a, a kind of a liberating way of thinking about it it's a really liberating way of thinking about it and i have to change it up all the time because i tend to be a loner but when you live on the road 365 days a year being a loner actually can turn into lonely and so i actually have to recognize that that need to have my own space or that enjoyment of my own space that's changing for me because i don't have a home so sometimes to be in my own space, I'm in a stranger's space. And it's actually like an Airbnb or um, a hotel that someone's put me up in. So when I now I make a point of staying with friends for longer stretches of time. And then I find that I get to know their neighborhoods. And I get to know, like, I like that, that particular market and I like that particular place to go get a smoothie. And then I realize, like, oh, I have these little homes all over. And it's really fun. Yeah. yeah. And I think, like... Uh, we never go out of our way to stay with our friends, too. I feel like it's even if you 
don't live on the road and you visit somewhere, you have a friend who lives there, but you just feel so, um, you feel like it's an inconvenience and you feel uncomfortable and you think, oh, I'll just get a hotel. Right. But every time you stay with a friend, you just have this amazing, usually, you have this amazing experience that opens you up to where they live and their neighborhood and why it's important to them. And then you grow closer. Yeah. And it's so fascinating that we run away from that experience. Exactly. My mother, we never we never even stayed with family members. We were always just like the two of us, and I was brought up that way. And now, you know, I love it. I really look forward to it. And I find myself sort of inviting myself back, and I hear it coming out of my mouth like, oh, I'd love to come back. Oh, is that okay to say? <laughs> yeah. But for most people, it really is. People love sharing, yeah. you know, especially if, you know, you learn how to be a decent house guest. Yes. <laughs> always make breakfast for people. That's always a... <laughs> I have a big question. The big question or have, a big question? I have a big question. <laughs> um, what, what would you tell someone who maybe is feeling lost in their heart and their soul? Mm. So the key for me to really finding a good way of being lost, because there is that sense of being lost of literally like you're bouncing off the walls and you're, you know, the voices are reverberating inside your head and you have no way of stilling them. I, I cannot overemphasize enough the need to develop a practice. And for me, my practice was about finding what I've come to call my magic word. What I realized was the word joy, that's why I write this blog called Daily Practice of Joy. The word joy for me is this word that always gets me out of my head. Joy is not a cerebral thing. Joy is not a head trip. It's not an idea. Joy always gets me out of my head and into my heart. The moment I'm in my heart, I cannot help but connect with people around me, and then I care about the world, and then it's like it sort of makes the circle come around full. And so joy is like my reset button. Joy is like my litmus test of whether I should do something. Joy is my sweet spot for sure. And so finding what that was, and it's not joy for everybody. I've begun asking people, and people have thrown out all kinds of different words, surrender, balance, connection, savor, um, awe. You know, people have different qualities that is that thing that gets them out of their head and into their heart. Finding that quality within yourself that's like that override button. But then the kicker is developing a practice of it that you do every single day. Because if you don't do that, it's just easy to start rattling around in your head. And when you're lost... You know, when you're feeling really crappy about everything, it's like all you can hear is what's wrong. So finding a practice that works for you. So for some people, gratitude is the word. And gratitude, making a list every single day of what you're grateful for is like that thing that kicks you out of that feeling. But having a practice isn't about having a practice that gives you a specific outcome. It's about having a practice that keeps you in your heart. And the moment you're in your heart, then actually becoming lost is a good thing. You realize it's, it's our fear of getting lost is our head doesn't have the answer. The joy of getting lost is realizing our head doesn't have the answer. <laughs> and, but that our heart always does. And that when we connect with other people's hearts, their hearts always do. And our hearts together do. It's like, you know, what you said about talking to people here we are being bombarded with all these reasons to be scared of each other. And you start talking to people and they start talking to you. And we realize how much we crave that heart connection and how much we all have in common, right? 
So the thing is, you have a practice of that now. Every single weekend, you go talk to people, which now means that during the week, talking to people that you might not talk to otherwise is starting to become a practice in your life, you know, in a way that probably when you graduated from high school, it wasn't. You had your friends, you talked to them, they were the safe people. (laughs) Now, I mean... For me, I go to horror conventions all the time. I don't like being scared. I don't understand why anyone would want to be scared, but I love horror fans. My dad made horror movies, right? And so now when I see people that I know that a lot of the world is scared of, like they're spiky hair and they have tattoos and they're goths and they're you know pierced and all of these things, I immediately look at them and go, oh my God, I know they're going to be totally sweet and we're going to have a great conversation. The moment we start, and I'll go over and they'll sort of look at me like, what do you want? And I'll be like, Hey, so blah, 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 you know, and we end up having this sweet conversation. I still don't want to be scared in a movie, you know, and they want to tell me all the reasons it's awesome to be scared. But there's always this common ground, right? Because we're kindred spirits. And usually horror fans felt like outsiders. I felt like an outsider, just a different kind of outsider. So I think the real thing is developing these practices, whatever they are, that when push comes to shove in those terrifying moments of your life, you make yourself do them. Because it's the voices in your head that'll screw you up every single time. And whatever the practice is that can get you out of your head, that'll save your life. That's amazing. Yeah. I love the word practice because practice is eternal. There are yes. these things that yeah. you can't master and it's good that yes. you don't master them because mm-hmm. you're always learning. Yeah, yeah. It's not really about mastering. It's about every day showing up. Yeah. And I think that's, we struggle with that too. I think every day it's like you try to pick up a practice or something that makes you feel better and then you feel like you should get better at it or you should be a master of it. But just to let yourself learn and it be part of your daily life is so way more rewarding and empowering. Yeah. And the other thing is to learn from other people. I went to a uh, an event or I was talking about joy. Actually, it was my event. And, um, and somebody said, oh, joy's my word too. And every year I make a list of 10 joy practices. And he said, usually it's interesting. I've been doing this for 20 years. Like four of them stay the same and six of them change every, every year. And I was like, thank you for saying that because I realized I'd gotten in a rut. I was like, practice. I'm having my joy practice, you know. And, and I was doing my joy practices and they weren't bringing me joy. So then I was like, oh, oh, right. You know, practice isn't about doing the same thing. It's the quality And the quality of practice is about anything that just short circuits those, you know, the chattering monkeys in our heads. We hope you enjoyed hearing more from Victoria Price. Her book is called The Way of Being Lost, and it's a great read. We'll be back with another regularly scheduled episode. But until then, see you in the question booth. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 